Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. A while back, one of my colleagues here at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Dan Darling, we were in an airport uh, somewhere, and he mentioned an Amazon streaming, uh, Amazon Prime streaming video pilot uh, that had just come out called uh, The Man in the High Castle. And so he's describing what this pilot is about. And he said, it's about a world where uh, the Allies lose World War II, and so the United States is divided. Half of it is under the control of Imperial Japan, and half of it is under the control of the Nazis. He said, it's kind of dark. And I remember my response was to say, well, yeah, I think that uh, pretty much is the epitome of, of dark. Uh, <laughs> if you have a Nazi-controlled United States and a, and a, and a world under totalitarian dictatorships. Uh, but I went and watched the pilot at the time and was fascinated with it. And then when Amazon uh, brought it forward as a full series, I ended up watching the series. And as I was watching it, there were several things that hit me. Of course, if you... If you haven't seen this or if you haven't heard of this, and there'll be a few spoilers in here, so if you if you want to watch it, don't let me ruin it for you. Uh, skip skip ahead with what I'm about to say right now. But you have Imperial Japan controlling the Pacific uh, the Pacific states. Uh, you have the Nazis controlling the East Coast, and then you have a strip of a neutral zone uh, in the middle. And so the Man in the High Castle has all of these various people in both of these regimes. And uh, the, the sort of mystery behind it all are these reels of uh, newsreel that show the Allies winning uh, World War II. So the message that's coming forward is there, there is a possibility of a different sort of world than the world that you're living in right now. And so uh, as you go through the whole first season, people are wondering who is the man in the high castle and what is, is happening here. It, it ended in a kind of bizarre sort of way with one of the, the main characters just uh, waking up 
in an alternative uh, universe, which looks a lot like the 1960s of the United States of America, where he's looking around at billboards and, and so forth, and it's very clear that this is not a Nazi United States. And so I was sort of intrigued by this. I didn't really want to wait for the next uh, season to find out uh, how are all of these chords going to be brought together. So I went and read the book by Philip Dick. Uh, of course, if you, if you are not familiar with uh, Philip Dick, uh, his uh, book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, was made into the movie Blade Runner, and uh, his short story, Minority Report, uh, was made into the movie Minority Report. And uh, what, what Philip Dick often is dealing with is the question of, can you be sure of the reality that you have? And, and that's something that has shown up in uh, many films over the past 30 years, many films in American pop culture. You, you know, one can think of the Matrix movies. Uh, one can think of the Truman Show. Uh, one can think of the Adjustment Bureau uh, just a, a few years ago. And so I read, uh, I read uh, Philip Dick's book. It was remarkably different. There's some of the same characters, many of the same characters, but remarkably different narrative in the novel. You still have the, the basic plot structure, but there aren't films. There's, there's a book that is, is detailing this alternative history of how the Allies defeated the Axis powers, and that is of great concern uh, to the, the powers that be. But there's also in the book a great deal more attention to the I Ching, the ancient uh, Chinese uh, holy book, and spiritual matters, Eastern spiritual matters, show up quite a bit more in the book. It's uh, one of the passages that I marked in my copy here was uh, Mr. Tagomi, who is a, a Japanese uh, official in the Pacific States. He says, we are absurd because we live by a 5,000-year-old book. We set it questions as if it were alive. It is alive. As is the Christian Bible, many books are actually alive, not in metaphoric fashion. Spirit animates it, do you see? And so there's a, there's a, a spiritual, occultic sort of uh, theme that makes its way all the way through the man in the high castle. Some reports uh, suggest that Philip Dick actually wrote the uh, man in the high castle, making decisions about plot points from the I Ching uh, itself. Now, what intrigues me uh, about this when it comes to the, the man in the high castle is that there is, a, there is behind this an understanding of the possibility of alternative uh, universes, of parallel uh, universes, which is something that is of uh, great uh, debate right now in the scientific community. Do we live in a universe, one singular reality, or do we live in, uh, in a universe among a multiverse of, of multiple universes with multiple realities, maybe even with their own laws of physics and, and so forth. And if that sounds just out of hand, ridiculous and absurd, just remember that Copernicus sounded uh, absurd. And certainly if you had uh, tried to explain 
the theory of relativity or dark energy or uh, some of the other things that we know about now, black holes, uh, to people in previous eras, that would have sounded out of, out of hand ridiculous too. So scientists are talking about do we, do we have multiverse? I think what's really behind this fascination is the understanding that very small decisions have consequences that are uh, unpredictable. I mean, think of the, the Ray Bradbury story of the time travelers that go back in time and step on a butterfly and, and completely disrupt the entire history of the earth. Well, there's a sense in which we all kind of feel that weight because we know that things are, are connected. And sometimes in our own personal lives, we can spend a lot of time looking backward and saying, if only I had done this instead of that, or if only she had done this instead of that, if only they had made this decision instead of that decision, that would have changed this, which would have changed that, which would have, in my whole life, uh, could have been different. For some people, that's a kind of envy or a kind of um, a jealousy of a, of a future that they think they're owed. And so it's, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I make uh, that decision? I could have been where I want to be. Or a sense of regret. How, how could that how, how could I have done that particular thing and there's nothing I can do to go back and to change it now? That divorce or that ruptured friendship or that, that crime uh, that I committed or wh- whatever it is that, that, that's in the, the background of a mind. There's a sense in which those little decisions had great implications. And what if there is another alternative scenario out there. I can imagine it. What if it really exists? Well, I think as Christians, uh, what, we, what we ought to think about in this is, is a sense of awe at the way that all of these little decisions come together. It's true that you think of a, even a great global event such as World War II. If Decisions had been made differently, just a few points that could have set off a domino effect that uh, perhaps could have led to a Nazi domination of the world. Uh, I think very few people could have conceived in 1941 of a Soviet near domination of the world, but that's certainly what we, what we saw. And in our own lives, things could be different in ways that we might consider to be good for us or in ways that might, uh, that might be catastrophic for us. I'm reminded of what uh, Peter Kreeft, the uh, Christian apologist, said about uh, Potiphar's wife. You remember the account of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Joseph is, uh, Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him, and uh, Joseph rightly flees. And she uh, lands him into prison because she tears uh, the the fabric of her of her coat and so he ends up in prison while he's in prison that's where he starts interpreting dreams which ultimately leads him to a place of authority uh which is 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 where we see him at the end of the book of genesis craft says if you think about this a little bit if you had not had the ripping of that coat the scenario would not have played out the way that it did so, so if 
Potiphar had a better tailor, then you would not have had Joseph rising to the level that he did in Egypt, which means that you would not have had Joseph able to summon his brothers back from the land of Canaan with the grain storage that he has in Egypt to prevent the children of Abraham from starving to death in Canaan during the great famine. So if you have the descendants of Abraham dying in Canaan in that famine, nobody would have noticed that across the world. But you would have had no King David, and you would have had no prophet Isaiah, and you would have had no people of, of Israel under the, uh, under the law of Moses. You would have had no Davidic line. You would have had no Joseph of Nazareth, and you would have had no birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, which means that you and I would be in hell right now. So, Graves argues, the entire salvation of the world was dependent upon that Egyptian tailor. Now, there's some real truth to that. I mean, the, the, the Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 9 that it is through the people of Israel and that entire history that we have that God has brought forward the Christ who is the God-blessed forever. And that's not only true in terms of redemptive history, it's also true in terms of your own, your own life. Regardless of what you think about sovereignty and free will, that, that's another conversation for another time. But all Orthodox Christians believe that God is sovereign and that God is guiding history uh, according to his, his purposes and that God is working in your life in order to, Romans chapter 8, conform you into the image of Christ. And so there is a there is an activity going on around you more mysterious than what you know or are able to see, more powerful than what you know or are able to see. And so the, the sense of, um, I think, the allure of man in the high castle and, and all of the sort of alternative history that we see in popular culture, whether in novels or in films or in television shows, could things be otherwise? That can be an entertaining question to ask, but when it comes to our lives, I think it can be a very sobering question to ask. The Apostle Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And so if you received it, why do you brag as though you did not receive it? I think it can be a helpful exercise sometimes for us to think back and to think, what would my alternative reality be if I hadn't met that person who shared the gospel with me? Or what would my alternative reality be if I hadn't gone to that college with that campus ministry? Or what would my reality be if I, if I hadn't walked into that church service the day that I did when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what would the reality be if the person who delivered that good news to me had been unfaithful in that? I think that's a humbling experience, and it's something that can cause us uh, not only to sort of spend the diversion of, of tracking through all the possible alternative scenarios, but also to say, thank you, God, for sovereignty in finding me and reaching me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.